In today's episode, you'll hear an interview I did with European Tour player Oliver Wilson. Ollie played in the 2008 Ryder Cup and also won the 2014 Dunhill Lynx Championship. And Ollie talks about that and plenty more in this interview, and it's really interesting to hear all the perspective he had on the highs and lows of his career. I'll be too nervous to, I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to the latest edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today by European Tour professional Oliver Wilson. Ollie has won on the European Tour at the Dunhill Links in 2014 uh, and made a good comeback in 2018 as well. Ollie, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Tom. How have you been, Ollie? Are you see so you're in America at the moment? Yeah, so I'm in America. Um, yeah, I've been fine. Everything's everything's okay for us you know i'm quite fortunate we've got some space to roam around in outdoors and the sun's been out most of the time so um it's been okay um it's obviously dragging on a bit we'd love to be back on the course practicing and some normality resumed but uh, we've got to hang on for that i guess but yeah. all, all good, all good uh, how, how difficult is it to balance obviously wanting to get some practice in but also not having anything to aim for at the moment yeah, it's a, it, it is awkward. It, I've always found it quite tough to practice when you don't have anything coming up. Um, but to be honest, I guess this period's been it, it kind of came you know a, a good time in in terms of having time off because it allowed me to do a bit more work on my game and my swing, um, mainly my swing, um, and in the gym. So that you know we, we you have to kind of look at the positives. There's not many, but the fact that it gives you a time in the middle of the year to really get some work done. We, you know, we never ever have in golf. You never have three or four months off to be able to do whatever, whether it's train hard, work on your game, or just have it off. You know, just to get away from it. So I'm trying to utilise that time or this time to, um, yeah, get stronger, work on more speed aspects of, of the game, and work on some technical things in my swing. So hopefully, when I come back, I'm I'm much better than I was last year. So I'm trying to make the most of it and without, you know, without overdoing it, still having a lot of time off and uh, just kind of finding a nice balance and spending a lot of family time. It's been been nice. You know, I've got a little boy and um, the last two years, he's only two. So the last two years I've been away quite a lot. So it's been nice to really hang out and just, yeah, just be, um, have a very different time to what we usually have. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really interesting. Two points you made there is that, you know, obviously the first and foremost is that you don't get a lot of family time being a touring professional. You, know, you never have more than maybe a week or two at home. Um, and, and most of the time they might even be a couple of days because you're off traveling again. Um, and also the, the swing changes when, when you need to make a, a implement a change, it's, it's not a case of you can just take two or three weeks off, especially if you're, if you're fighting for playing rights and things like that. You need to take advantage of as many starts as you can get, but also try and find some time to put the work in to, to make those changes you want to make. Yeah, because we don't really have an off season now. You know, the most we re- it, you could you could get five weeks out of it really if you wanted to, but I always generally play in December because it's always been a good month for me of, of playing and always kind of like to get a head start for the following year. So really, you know, over Christmas you get maybe two or three weeks, um, and you know, a week or two of that is preparing for the new season. So yeah, it's it's been nice in that respect to um, really get some good work done, and you know, I've I've set up. A little swing room and gym in my um so i'm in america at my in-laws house um but i'm in the basement practicing but the great thing about it is hitting golf balls into a net is you know there's no outcome so you can really 
dig into what you're trying to work on and and forget about the strike, forget about the ball flight, and and just make the changes you want. You know, I've got I got my phone. I use the camera on that on tripod. I've got force plates. Um, I've got my TrackMan, so I can kind of get some data without really worrying what the ball's doing, uh, making those changes, and then you can sort of feel the strike improving and getting stronger and meatier, and and check the speeds. The speeds are going up, so. It's been good, you know. That being said, I'm about right, ready to get out there and hit balls off grass a lot more. I, <laughs> I played my uh, first round of golf on uh, on last Monday. It was actually a week ago, um, which was nice just to get out and and kind of test it out a little bit and see what it felt like. And it went relatively well. So back in the basement for another few weeks and and see what happens with all the regulations but at the moment it's uh, yeah just keep working and tinkering away so it's all been going nicely yeah it's, it's, it's funny interesting that you you say there as well that um you sort of been able to focus on changes without worrying about where the ball's going and, and that might sound strange to some people but is it easy when you're making technical changes and and big changes to your swings to be despondent if you get a bad result when really it could have been a good swing and and it just didn't go to plan in your head um, and, and you sort of overreact to that when really there's not much to change? Um, well, it's not really despondent. The, the problem we have is, you know, you're always you're always preparing for a tournament or another round. So whether, you're, whether you've got a week off or you're at a tournament, when you're doing little changes, you're trying to, you, you've got one eye on making the changes, trying to improve. But at the same time, you've always got in the back of your mind, the upcoming tournament round or the upcoming tournament, whichever it may be. So it's really hard because you're always thinking about performance. It's really hard to dial away from that and make the changes w- without worrying about the performance. And that's why this break's been nice because we have nothing upcoming. So it doesn't really matter. You know, you can really dig into it, make some changes and um, let them bed in as well. And then by the time we get back to actually having a solid date to work towards, this time to put plenty of performance practice in and get out on the golf course and, and test it under different scenarios. So, um, yeah, it, it's just, it, you're always performing. And that's the thing. I think people sort of forget in golf that you play so much that it's very hard to break it down um, and separate the, the technical side away um, and really make progress as opposed to just little tweaks here and there over the course of a few weeks. It's just awkward. It's not ideal. So, you have to be very um, strict in how you prepare and trying to do that because, like I say, at the end of the day, you always got an eye on performance and that's the most important thing. So, um, yeah, make, making the most of the time off is important. Yeah, and I think as well, when you say there is that on the European tour, you kind of, not only do you have a lot of tournaments in a row, but also the the courses and the demands and, and the sort of types of shot that you need to play change so drastically week to week as well. Um, I think in... In America on the PGA Tour, it's sometimes similar tests in three or four weeks in a row. But the European Tour, you can kind of go off and and really change the test quite quickly, and that obviously affects the swing changes as well. Yeah, you're you're always adapting. I think that's one thing that playing world golf teaches people is how to adapt quickly. You know, from from the different grasses you're putting on, the speed of the greens, the firmness, how the ball reacts when you're chipping, how it reacts when you're hitting into the uh, into the greens. Um, obviously getting your distances and it may it sounds a bit basic but being making it instinctive so when you have a number uh, and you're hitting into a green you know say for instance you know a six iron mine goes about 188 
in Europe generally it goes pitches 188 and it's stopping within a yard suddenly you go to a course where you've got a bit of bounce and it might be then going 193 um, you know that's a significant difference and just having that instinctive awareness when you're making the decisions that you're taking that into account it's all, all those kind of things adapting and same on the tee you know how far your tee shots are going how far they're running out just learning that in a very short space of time maybe 18 holes um it's good for you uh definitely in america they you know they have the swings they've got the west coast swing the florida swing um and you're not having to adapt as much even when you go there to the first tournament you're not having to adapt so much because generally they're playing on greens at a similar speed every week similar kind of firmness the ball may vary a little bit in how far it's going but it's generally warm similar kind of temperatures um, they do play in quite a bit of wind, but not quite like what they do in Europe. Um, so there's definitely less adapting. I think the guys that have played around the world, uh, that's one thing that they have over the guys that just play in America. Um, but that that being said, you know, that I guess on a slightly different tangent, that I think the courses in America are, they test you a little bit more in the sense that you always have... Um, so at some point during the round, a tournament round on a PGA Tour, you're going to have to stand up and hit, properly hit a shot, man up and hit a great tee shot down 18, you know, water or out of bounds or whatever it may be, island greens. Um, nearly every golf course that I can think of on the PGA Tour has really, really tough holes down the stretch. And I think that makes you a better golfer. And I think that's where one of the major differences between playing in Europe and around the rest of the world is that we don't play as many golf courses that test you to the same degree. Um, they may be very tough golf courses, but they don't, they don't put you under bundles of pressure coming down the stretch a lot of the time, which is a bit of a shame, but um, that's one thing I hope that we can change in the future that we, we play better golf courses in Europe. And do you think as well, because obviously a lot is made of the financial implications of qualifying for the PGA Tour and, and getting your card over there, but do you think that is another factor? Is is the, the golf courses and, and the tournament schedule maybe better set up there than it is in Europe? Um, the schedule is better set up for sure, but it's it's not it's not that anyone's specific fault in Europe. It's just it's just hard when you're travelling around twenty yeah. different countries a year. Um, it's not feasible to go how we as a player would want you know it's the tournaments and the sponsors want tournaments on at certain times to meet all kinds of different uh, reasons uh, and the players wanting it to make it easy travel is just one of them um, but yeah I mean PJ Tour is great it's they play for bundles of money under great conditions they are spoilt uh, in a good way you know I'm not not saying they're negative <laughs> it's fantastic I've been there you know you get handed your car keys when you get there You've got great food all week um, and everyone can't do enough for you. Like I said, playing great golf courses, great media coverage. Um, you know, it's fantastic. It really is. Um, and so in Europe is fantastic as well, just in a different way. I guess it's just the financial side, really. Um, you know, you, you make a lot of money in America. They have a great pension scheme, um, sponsorship doubles, Um and it's it's a it's a nice place to be, you know, to live. You know, the sun shines out all the time. I'm I'm living in England, and the, for the British guys, it's a great place to be. But when it's cold, wet, and windy, six seven months of the year, it's it's rough and not easy to prepare as well as you'd like. But um, 
really it's the financial side that separates the two tours i would say yeah absolutely and i think also we'll just go back right now to, to the early part of your career and, and talking of america there you you went to college in america uh you were at augusta state so you were right on the doorstep of augusta national so i guess that gave you a bit of an incentive to uh to make it to where you did on the stage that you did yeah it was a funny one um i mean i'd, I'd been offered a position to go to augusta a couple of years before and i wasn't interested and I was playing full-time amateur golf uh, under the watchful eye of David Ridley, my coach back then, who, who helped me masses when I was growing up. Um, but I was just kind of playing full-time golf. I'd dropped out of um, sixth form, trying to concentrate on my golf. And like I said, the weather wasn't great. Facilities weren't great. And I, I didn't feel like I was really going anywhere. And then I got this opportunity to go out there. So I thought, you know what? I think it's a good thing. I went out. I thought I was going to be going out to practice at Augusta National every week. <laughs> um, that that didn't quite work out, but uh, we were about two miles away at Forest Hills. Um, it's by far the best decision I ever made in my life going out to Augusta. Um, it, it, it completely opened my eyes. It, it allowed me to practice competitively every day of the year, really. And we had good facilities. Um, well, we had decent facilities, but we had a great environment. Um, I had... Um, a great coach, really motivational, inspiring, um, good teammates who we all became you know, best friends. Um, and it just created a really competitive environment. One of my my best friends, Jamie Elson, was my roommate. He was better than me. So it was always someone, I always had someone to aim at to try and achieve things and try and beat him. And he was doing things a year before me. He was you know, competing in the college tournaments, winning tournaments, he, um, he was an All-American, um, so once he achieved that, I was, suddenly it was like, oh, right, well, that, I can achieve that. And then he uh, he qualified for the Walker Cup, something I'd never even thought about. Um, once he did that, it was suddenly on my radar. Um, then he turned pro, played a year on Challenge Tour, got his card straight away on Main Tour. And all these things he was doing the year or two before me, and it just opened my eyes to actually, I can do that as well. So without that, I think things would have been very different. But that's the, one of the great things about going to college in America. It's so competitive. If you want to go and test your game against the best players in the world at that age, that's where you need to be. Yeah, and I think a lot of the best players in the world have gone down that route. I know there's obviously exceptions. Um, but when you look at the guys, obviously, you would have been looking up to is Luke Donald played in America. Um, and you also had, a, you say there, Jamie Olsen, Scott Jameson was also on your team, if I'm correct. So you had yep. other players that you were sort of playing with. And, and like you say there, so one of my questions was going to be that once you'd sort of graduated from um, Augusta State, where you actually were the number one collegiate player uh, during your time there, was there any chance of just staying in America and not going back to the Challenger and European Tour? Yeah, there was. Um, I, I had a very good college career, um, but I, I wasn't quite... I mean, Luke and Luke Donald, Paul Casey, they had phenomenal careers. Um, I certainly wasn't at their level. Um, I felt like... Well, I played, I played the Walker Cup and then turned pro straight after, and yeah. I just didn't feel like my game was good enough to go down the American route at that point. Um, and obviously at that age, I didn't have any invites into any European tour events. Um, the, and the first three invites I got as a pro were, uh, managed to get late invites into challenge tour events down in, uh, Central America. Um, and obviously at that time I just wanted to play. So I jumped on the plane and flew down and, and led the first two events 
finished top 20 in all three, got off to a good start. And that opened the door to playing more. Um, and it was just the logical place to go, playing play on the Challenge Tour, try and get my card. Um, I think I did go to USQ school that year, but I, I didn't do any good, missed, missed it at first stage. Uh, but I managed to get 15th card at, on my Challenge Tour the year um, to get a tour card straight away. So, um, obviously, if in an ideal world, I would have rather have gone down the US route, but it worked out to be the best scenario for me because I think it just gave me um, a chance to develop my game. Straight after playing the Walker Cup, I actually flew back to New York and started working with a coach called Mitchell Spearman, um, and we just completely rebuilt my swing, um, which really needed to happen. I, I At that stage, I thought that I could maybe get my tour card, but I certainly couldn't become a Ryder Cup player. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I needed to do a lot of work to, to become better um, and that was one of the phases of it. Um, so I, I was able to do that and then play Challenge Tour as well and, and get my card. So it worked out nicely. Yeah, and you had a really good year on the Challenge Tour that year, didn't you? You had seven top tens, including the second in Italy. Um, so you sort of got a really good insight into maybe where your game was and, and what you needed to do to take the next step as you got onto the European Tour. Yeah, it was a, it was a great time to yeah just figure it all out. I'd gone from travelling uh, around the US in a team environment, having everything done for me to suddenly having to travel around the world with, well, on my own, obviously I had a management group to help me with travel and that kind of stuff, but you're on your own traveling and it's something I enjoyed and um, getting out there, meeting new people. And um, it was a lot of fun. I have to say that that year on Challenge Tour was something that I didn't really know many people on it when I first started, but by the end of that year, I, I had a lot of friends and it was, it was just a lot of fun traveling around as, sharing rental cars, sharing apartments and just having a good laugh and, and playing golf. Yeah, I think we had a, a PCU line earlier on the podcast and, and he said that the Challenge Tour was exactly that. He had a lot of camaraderie, which you don't necessarily get in on the US side of things and he became really close friends with a lot of people on Challenge Tour and that led him to feeling more comfortable when he went, made the step up into European Tour as well, which I guess was the same for you going into 2005. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate. So I got my card uh, at the end of 2004. And um, Greg Owen, who uh, used to be on the European Tour, he's now playing PGA Tour and a bit of Web or, or Corn Ferry Tour. Um, he was at my home golf club, Coxmoor. And a good friend of mine, Richard Hill, was his caddy and been caddying for him for six, seven years. Uh, Greg ended up going to the States and Rich didn't want to. So it ended up being a perfect timing where Rich was available and he came on my bag. He took a bit of a gamble. Um, and that really helped me transition into the European tour, just to have somebody out there that you felt like was your right hand man and enabled you to create new relationships and introduce you to people and let you know how it works, what you need to do. And it really helped me become comfortable out there really quickly. Um, I think that was something that maybe can be underestimated when you go out there for the first time um it's different you know you you think you're you know if you played walker cup played challenge tour you come on tour you you know you, you're pretty confident um but everyone on the tour has already done all that nobody cares about players if you've done whatever you've done in college or in amateur golf you've played walker cup you've won the british am you know everybody who's done that is on tour it's just like expected yeah so it's uh, it's a very different environment and nobody really cares other other than if you can do it when uh, when you've got a card in hand and money's on the line. 
So it's very different. Everyone's very successful because that's why they're on the European tour. So to be able to feel comfortable and feel like you belong out there was important. And, and having Rich on my bag was a large part of that. And we got off to a decent start. Um, I, I think I was in contention in New Zealand, travelled around. I think we were on a six-week trip all around the, the world. Um, it was something like South Africa, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia, China or Thailand, something like that. Six or seven week trip. And that got me off to a good start and started to believe that I could do it. And uh, yeah, managed to keep my card, which I was delightful, delighted for for the first year. And then um, from then on, it was just about my, my whole thing has always been just trying to improve each year. You know, whatever my ranking is last year, try and improve that. Um, and I was able to do that for um, five or six years. Yeah, absolutely. It was the first thing I was going to say is that you had a couple of top tens in your your first season, didn't you? Back to back in Ireland and Wales, um, and then t- the end of that calendar year uh, is obviously your first runner up finish uh, was to Paul Casey in China. Yeah, that one that one was one that I uh, look back on and re- massively regret. I, sh- I I should have won that. I gave that one away. Um, I had a one shot lead with two to play in the middle of the fairway on seventeen, and I duffed a wedge came up just short of the green chipped up and missed from like four feet and then the par five last hole so i was tied um and uh made a par i was next to the green in two didn't get it up and down and then in the playoff i duffed a bunker shot um (laughs) and basically gave it to to paul so um it was yeah that was that's the one the one that i really feel got away all the others have been you know i've had quite 10 runs up now um, most of them are, I haven't really done anything wrong, but that one I definitely did, um, and that one that one hurt. But at the same time, it was a second, and it got me off to a great start for the following year. Um, so it was it wasn't the same as the others, but it was uh, it was hugely disappointing still. Yeah, I think the first thing I was going to say there is to put a positive spin on it is you actually had to birdie four holes in a row on the back nine, I think, to, to take a one shot lead that you speak of that that you lost on the seventeenth and eighteenth, and also. Uh, Paul was the highest ranked player in the field at the time so was did that sort of play into your mind that the pressure of playing against him or was it a case of um, just focusing on your own thing no it's interesting you say that I, I didn't know I birded four holes in a row to get <laughs> it's funny what we remember um no I I don't know no I don't think so um from what I can remember now it was just um it was just uh yeah just dis- hugely disappointed I mean I, I, whenever I'm in contention, I'm not really, I don't really care who I'm competing against. You know, I'm, I'm really competing against myself. Um, and so I'm just trying to execute the shots as I go. And I didn't do that on 17 and 18. And then being in the playoff, it was my first time. I, I do remember walking on the team. John Paramore was there. Paul had a little laugh with John. He obviously knew him a lot, quite, quite well. It was new. It was different. Um, but it didn't intimidate me or anything. I hit a good tee shot. I just, yeah, I was nervous, you know, yeah. um, and didn't have, um, I guess it was just nerves. And, um, yeah, just hit a couple of dodgy short shots, really, uh, which was disappointing because that was my strength of my game. Um, but, yeah, just a couple of opportunities. And I guess I, that that really, it, it really hits home that when you have an opportunity out there as a pro, you have to take it. Because you never know when they're going to come again. Um, it's it, you just yeah. If there's a little sniff of victory, you got to you got to jump on it. Whether and and make it happen as quick as possible. You never want to go to a playoff 
you got to get it done if you can do get it done in in uh, normal time do it and and that's sort of one thing that i always try and tell myself now when i get in contention um it just doesn't happen that often certainly for me so when you do you've got to you've got to take it and and do everything you can to do it and, and not back down take on the shot that needs to happen um for, it's different for many players because they're in different positions and some really need the win to change their lives others it's just a number just another win but it's the same for everyone you have to you have to jump on it and um and give it everything because you you hugely regret it if you don't because the thing is when you're playing well on tour as well you just think it's going to carry on week in week out and even now you know I've been out there 20 years nearly uh, well, no, I haven't. that's an exaggeration. 16 years. Um, and you still kind of feel like when you're playing well, OK, I've got it now. This yeah, is just going to yeah. keep on going. And it doesn't. So you, you have to be ruthless out there and um, give it everything for a win because nobody really remembers second. And the wins are the thing that that winning is what we play the game for um, to build real memories. Um, obviously, I've only won at the Dunhill and it's something I'll never forget. But it's so short lived. You know, you win on a Sunday Thursday next week, no one cares because they're teeing up again for another tournament. So it's an amazing few days as the sort of previous winner, uh, but it's it's not a lot considering how much work goes into it. So you have to try and yeah have to try and get it done um, so you can celebrate more. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's just what you say there is that yeah you, you talk about taking your chances when you get them, and you'd say that you lost to that playoff and you deeply regret losing to that one because you kind of sort of threw it away a bit, but. At that time, that was your sort of first chance of winning and, and it was all new and that was a really positive result. And then, but I suppose, looking back after finishing sort of nine runners-up since, is that's when you can reflect on that and say, well, you should have taken that chance. And do you think, had you have won that week, your career may have panned out any differently because wins weren't not, not less important but sort of easier to come by rather than sort of searching for one every now and then? I, yeah, I don't know. I, I have thought about that. Um, occasionally, whether what would have happened if, if I'd have won that week, and I really don't know. Um, I don't think in the long run it wasn't a bad thing that I lost. It, it was, it made me hungrier. It taught me a few lessons. Um, but yeah, it was nice to have a win. Like I say, I, I just want wins. I want more wins. Yeah, you know, I've only got one, and it's, it's just not enough. Um, and. Like I say, yeah, just want to get more on the board. So, if I'd have won that one, whether would it would it have changed my attitudes? Um, it might have done. Who knows for the for the better or the worse? I don't really know. Can't really say. But um, I I know I've been very hungry to win in my career. Um, I was never a winner before getting on tour. You know, I didn't really win many amateur tournaments. I started to learn to win in college. Yeah. Um, but still not prolific. I think I only won four or five tournaments in college. Um. So I still needed to learn to win. And that was sort of definitely a next stage up, next level up, trying to do it on tour. And I guess it did help me. And I honestly think, you know, I go through those runners up. Most of them, well, there's a few backdoor runners up um, that I was never in chance of winning. And then there was a few that I was right in there, but I really didn't do anything wrong. Um, just whoever I was up against did something either really special or birdied the last or you know, had a strong finish um, and I just made pause. You know, I never really did anything extraordinary to win, but I certainly didn't do anything to lose them either. So um, some players, are, I, I would say, I would describe it as being a little bit unlucky when I've been in those situations, but at the same time, 
I think the great players make their own luck in those situations and they turn it on and, and win those tournaments. That's something I've got to learn to do. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Again, uh, so 2007, you have three runner-up finishes um, to, to build on the success you had in 2006. And like you say, they were not all seconds uh, are equal because you had a chance to win at the Johnny Walker um, and it ended up in a playoff. And, and you sort of say in an interview that you probably should have won in regulation there as well. Um, but at the Deutsche Bank, uh, you'd actually shot a fine around 66 to get to second. So it's completely different ways of getting into second place. And then going into, uh, you had another chance at the European Masters where you were leading after 36 holes, but you woke up with a, a stiff neck on the in the third round and, yeah. and really struggled yeah. to close out the weekend. Yeah, that that one hurt. Yeah. Um, I think that was my, it was the fourth round, I think. Um, I was leading, um, well, if my memory is correct, I was leading. I don't know if that that was the year I was leading with Sergio or one ahead of him. But I woke up and I couldn't swing. And I I woke up early, went down to the course for physio and basically had to chip the ball around for 18 holes. I think I shot like 75 or 76, finished like 20th or something. It was so disappointing because I love that golf course. And I felt like I knew it so well and I had the game to win round there. Um, and I, it was that's one of the courses that I believe I will win round, um, and so it really did hurt. But you know these things happen, and that, that you know those I had a few instances like that, um, not leading, um, but when I was in uh, close to contention and my neck went, which led me down a path of, of fitness and trying to investigate why that was, because at that that back then I was missing three or four tournaments a year due to my neck, um, so that was something that had a positive effect i guess in the long run but it certainly cost me um back then yeah and we're going to 2008 now and and this is a really massive sort of landmark in your career obviously making the Ryder cup team um and you're building on from the three final up finishes in 2007 to four in 2008 and does it start to get to a point where instead of looking because really you should be looking at the positives of you you're banging contention several times and you're flying up the money list and world rankings and all these tournaments but it's another case of not quite getting over the line when is it a case of not being aggressive enough on the final day or was, like you say they're not throwing it away but possibly just trying to make birdie at an important time uh no it wasn't not being aggressive enough it was um it, it certainly started to get frustrating and they were, i can't remember exactly when it was um it was probably end of 2007 beginning of 2008 was when it really started to get frustrating you know there's a time where up up till then seconds were disappointing but also I was delighted you know it was was significant amount of money on the board it helped me as a young pro getting things on track um, and you want to win but seconds still good then in 08 it was not good anymore it was hugely disappointing and annoying and frustrating and it started to lead me down paths to figure out what was going off you know was it me I start to question whether I was um, mentally strong enough physically good enough technically good enough Um, and yeah that I guess it was although I had another couple of years of playing really good and improving it was the start sort of the catalyst for also a bit of a downfall and trying to ended up confusing myself and, and learning so much that you open up your, your mind and have so much information in there that it just becomes a, a nightmare. So um, I wouldn't say it was, it certainly wasn't being aggressive enough. I played well 
uh, Wentworth was the one that I was in tears afterwards. Um, you know, staying at home, it's my home tournament. Of course, I love. Um, I had a one-shot lead on the 17th tee. Actually, I didn't know I had a one-shot lead. I, I thought I was tied. I'd played really well. Birded 15, which Fran Wentworth is hardest on the course. Um, so I was flying. And I, I was over my practice swing on the 17th tee, and I just looked back and caught a glance of the leaderboard um, during my practice swing and saw my name was on top with a one-shot lead. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's a bit of a, bit of a moment so, there. Yeah. So I was like... Yeah, I'd gone from new. I knew I was right there, but kind of assumed I was tied. You can kind of feel it off the crowd, you know, and the energy. Yeah. I knew I was in, in right there, but I didn't realize I had a one shot lead and it changed my mindset, I guess. It was, suddenly went from, oh, hang on, this is yours, to chasing. And uh, I pushed my tee shot. It was a it was a decent tee shot. I pushed it 10, 15 yards down the right, which at 17 at Wentworth is not a bad thing. And it bounced right, right behind a tree. So I chipped out sideways, knocked it up, made bogey, um, and then hit um, a good tee shot on 18, just into the rough, had to lay up, knocked it out to like 12 foot and horseshoed. Um, I think Miguel birdied the last to tie me. So all of a sudden, my chance in regular play is gone. Um, and then I, I had two identical putts on the 18th to what I had in the... Um, normal play one lipped out right edge one lipped out left edge <laughs> and then Miguel birdied to win um, and it just you know I guess you know it, well, it was my fault I, I kind of it wasn't I didn't throw it away but um, I definitely got out of my my zone on that 17th tee shot and I got punished for it um, and then that's how intricate it is you know the the it's such as such small margins um, so really looking back, I just couldn't see any way that I could take a positive from it. It was something that really hurt, even though that really catapulted me into the Ryder Cup team. Um, it was obviously a great week and moved forward. And that, I think that was my fourth second within a, or in, in a, in a row almost. It was in a very short amount of tournaments. So I was playing great, but it hurt. And I think that really, yeah, started to, um, push me down a path of trying to figure out what's going on and in hindsight you know what if I could have just gone back and gone just keep doing it just keep doing what you're doing just keep trying to get better and it make it hungrier and hungrier and it's going to come it's going to happen but I started listening a little bit to the media um, other people questioning you know all these runners up and not never he's never going to be able to win um, and I, I listened to that and let it creep in and it, it had a massive negative effect in a, in a few years time and completely threw me off off track yeah i'm really glad you said that because that was one of the questions is that you're saying there that you know you you can tell yourself at the time that you weren't really doing anything wrong yourself you weren't throwing tournaments away and and actually you're getting a bit of bad luck and maybe get caught up in the moment and things like that but the media again are start questioning things like that because that's just what they do and it's very easy for those doubts to creep in and how hard is it to be mentally resilient to that uh, especially as well when you're quite open in speaking about the fact that you've never really not trusted your swing and technically you've always felt like you've battled with your swing even though you've always been very good at scoring yeah well I guess that that's what it come it all comes back to my swing and I I felt like I was always hanging on coming down the stretch or coming down as the tournament went on I generally got worse 
even though my scores might have improved on the Sunday, I never seemed to hit it as well as I had earlier in the week. Not all the time, but generally. Um, and it was a swing issue and it, it was something that really annoyed me. I wasn't a, a, as good a ball striker as the other players that I was competing against. And, the, you know, I was top 50 in the world, but I was probably, I, I think I was probably one of the worst of ball strikers. But my short game put in mental strength, everything else. I knew how to play golf. Um, and we just kind of struggled to make the changes. You know, I hit the ball very straight. And when I hit bad shots, they generally went straight. They were just bad strikes which is something that is an amazing asset to have in professional golf. Yeah. It's just, if you do have it, you might not be able to see it because it's frustrating. But when you don't have it, oh, I mean, I look back now, I I would kill for it. It's, you know, it's, (laughs) it's something I envy, you know, it's, it's a brilliant thing to have, um, hit a terrible shot, be absolutely distraught with the shot and it goes in the middle of the green or middle of the fairway or down the edge you know it's it's fine it's in play no harm done um so that was something it's just frustration really the grew grew and grew and i tried to figure out the swing i changed coaches and then at the same time i got ill i was out for a couple of months in the season um and then i broke my wrist like a year later um so it was a <laughs> there was a catalyst and a few things happened and it just suddenly I was sort of marooned on the challenge tour. I lost my card. Um, no coach. Um, started with a new coach with no relationship, um, no caddy. Um, and you're just on your own. And it's going from where I was to a, from a top 50 player playing Ryder Cup with a management group, with people by my side, with a coach, people that I really trusted and relied on. Suddenly I had none of that. I had a management group, but it's very hard for them to help when you're on the challenge tour. Yeah, and it was just something I really struggled with, um, and resulted in yeah nearly giving up. But um, I managed to turn things around and and kind of dial it back and make a plan, build a team, and uh, get back to uh, winning. Actually, which was bizarre, you know, when you think about how much I'd been in contention and never won, and I was you know I was top fifty in the world, I was playing well, but couldn't get it done, and then suddenly I went and won the Dunhill out of absolutely nowhere um yeah i guess you know it's i managed to dig deep and i knew it was in there i think i think i wouldn't have got to that point if i hadn't had that success before i would have probably given up because i i wouldn't have believed i could have done it but the fact that i'd done it before and knew that i was capable of i knew i was capable of winning i just hadn't done it um that's what kind of kept me going and um once i started to figure out my golf swing i went saw robert rock he helped me in, within two weeks, I went from nearly giving up to winning the Dunhill. Um, so he helped me massively. And as soon as I felt like I could strike the ball how I wanted to and I wasn't going to hit snap hooks, you know, the game came back and I was able to win. So uh, it's a bizarre game. And, and that period in my golf career is, is ridiculous, really, but something <laughs> that, that I love to look back on. Well, this is this is the thing. So I've got a couple of notes here. And the first one is, is Robert Rock looking at your swing. And I think it was in Kazakhstan where... The next round, the very next round, you went a shot of 63 and you were 10 under through 17 holes. Um, and that's how quickly things can change. And I suppose if you could have seen that maybe back in 2008 or nine, that it maybe just a little tweak like that could really make you take the next step. You maybe have been more patient and less hard on yourself, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think it was just the fact that I wasn't getting the information I needed. Um, and it, it, I look back and really now it was a very simple fix. 
I, we, we just didn't have the information or I didn't, I wasn't getting the information at the time to change it and make a positive effect. Um, I look back now and it's so easy, um, but I didn't have it. So that led me down those paths. But then, I, you know, I was struggling. I'd had a lesson before going out to Kazakhstan, which was like the biggest tournament on the Challenge Tour. And if you finished in the top three or four, you probably got your card for next year. So it was a big tournament. And I, I played nicely in practice and then shot like 75 the first round. I was I was awful. My short game was amazing <laughs> to keep me into in, in the tournament, really. And I, I just had enough. My caddy, Rich, sent he was caddying for Rocky at the time and said, look, send Rocky some swings, let him help you. So I came off the course, saw this message. Although I've got nothing to lose, so I sent it him. In the next morning, I woke up, obviously, because of the time zone, and he sent me this massive, long uh, email with pictures and videos and explanations. I went up early the next day, practiced for a couple of hours before I played. I hit a three wood off the tee on the first, straight down the middle. I was like, well, that's better. <laughs> and then I hold a sand wedge on this very first hole. I was like, yeah. oh, wow. Here we that go, yeah. Like it was pure. And then I hit it to a foot on the next, par three. And then I think I made eagle on the third, par five. Wow. And it was like, wow, this is this is amazing. And I, you know, like I said, I was 10 under through 17, bottled it a bit at the last, um, and but made bogey. But uh, I was in contention. And again, really, I should have, I should have maybe not won the tournament, but I should have got my card. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't play great over the weekend. But, you know, things were changing. It was improving. And I, I felt like I had direction. And we worked really hard the next two weeks and, and went and got it done. You know, the, the Dunhills, it's an amazing tournament. But at that time of year, the, the driving is quite generous um, around St. Andrews, Carnoustie and Kingsborn. So that enabled me to kind of get it going and, and have a bit more faith in it all. But... Um, it was great, you know. Looking back, I, I knew that um, I was capable of getting it done. I knew those courses so well. I felt like I had an opportunity to get my card back, and obviously went a little further and won. So it was uh, pretty special. Yeah, I think there's three three sort of main points I want to focus on with the Dunhill is that this is a place that you'd already finished second at back in 2009. Um, so maybe a little bit of uh, retribution there, getting over the line. Um, but also, you know, you actually beat Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood and Richie Ramsey that that week to to win so not only did you go from you know trying to get your car but you beat those three sort of really good players at the time um and then you know it just how much does that change your perspective when you can go and beat those quality of players especially when you consider that you could do that in 2014 as opposed to not being able to do it quite in 2009 when you were really at the sort of height of your career um yeah I, I guess I think from people looking from the outside ask that question a lot. And to me, it's like a non-question. Like, I, to, for me for me to be have been successful and to come back, it's just having inner belief that I could yeah. do it. You know, and I knew, as soon, like I said, as soon as I started to hit the ball better and have some control, the short game, the putting, the mental aspect has never been a problem. Um, I just needed to get in contention. Um and yeah so i never doubted that really i guess i did i did a little bit but not then when i when i was starting to play better and i, I was at st andrews I, I never doubted that i knew what i was capable of even though people other people maybe not and the fact that i was going up against rory and tommy really had no bearing on it because like i said i'm competing against myself 
And only really down the last few holes would a game plan for me change if it really needed to, if I needed to be more aggressive or, or even more defensive if I had a big lead. Um, so it was just keep going about my business. And, you know, I hit a good shot. I hit a great four iron into 16 and made birdie. And that was the time when it was like, OK, this is this is yours. You've you've had so many chances to win. You don't know how many more tournaments you're going to have to even play. Never mind, try and win. So you better grab this with both hands. You've got to do everything you can to win this tournament because they are not going to give it you. Um, and I managed to do it. You know, 17 is always a tough hole, but I managed to navigate my way down there. Um <laughs> Um, a little bit awry but um, yeah it was it was hard work but getting to I knew if I could get through 17 with a par then 18 but well basically my card was secure things were back on track I just had to get the win and did everything right on 18 I just I didn't make birdie and unfortunately neither did Tommy so it worked out great but I remember just making sure that all I kept telling myself is you you have to take advantage of this um, and it's something that stuck with me um, since then, you know, just you got to get in contention. When you do, you got to do everything you can. There's no time for being nervous or backing off or being cautious. You just got to commit and uh, and win. And, and if you don't win, you can at least look back and go, I've done, I gave it everything. But there'd be nothing worse than losing because you didn't have the balls to do it or take on the right shots. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you can just look at those scenes back on. Uh... Watched it again last night when when you beat uh, Tommy there and and he actually had a really good chance to to take you to a playoff again and was there ever a point at that time where you thought oh no not, not again like this, another playoff or oh oh absolutely just, yeah yeah I mean I, I I knew I had that I had a putt about 12 15 feet before Tommy and I knew I had to make it otherwise it was a playoff and I hit a great yeah. putt just misread it. And John said, don't worry, he's not going to make this, my caddy at the time. And I said to him, I looked straight at him. I said, John, he will. Yeah. listen, mate, I've been here many times. We're going to a playoff. Get your head on. We're going to a playoff, but we'll win in that playoff, OK? So just get your head ready for it. And by that time, he was hitting the putt and I turned around and it missed. Well, it looked like it was going in halfway. And then it slid off to the right and missed. And I was like absolutely blown away. I couldn't speak. I couldn't. I couldn't believe that it had missed because... Every other time I've been in that position, that everybody had hold it, um, and it'd be in a playoff. So it was, uh, I felt like finally um, I'd got one to go my way. So it was, uh, it was pretty special. Yeah, and that's what I said. The emotion there when that you showed it, it did just look like complete disbelief that one, it hadn't gone in, and two, that you'd actually, you know, got the win that that really you've deserved for a long period of your career, and and thankfully it has now come. And and it was just, it just looked like you were just so sort of like exhausted relieved yeah yeah relieved yeah because you just you know that is a win that especially i suppose at dunhill is it is it extra important being at st andrews i know a lot of people speak of dunhill links being a big event and and somewhere they want to win yeah because as a golfer i mean you think about well certainly as a kid where you want to win and you win in your head you win around all these different courses st andrews for me is one place that it is so incredible um, I would love to win round St Andrews and enjoy walking up 17 and 18 um, and looking at the crowds, the atmosphere. It is incredible. I mean, anywhere, but St Andrews and Augusta, two courses that we're always at, um, you know, we know so well and they are just 
just monuments of the game, you know, historically wise, it's, it's phenomenal. So um, it's such a special place. And I, I'll never forget standing on the back of the 18th when it had all sort of died down a little bit and there were still people around, but just looking back down 18, it's a special place. So to win round there is something I'd always wanted to do. Um, and I probably, that would be my number one place to win um, a tournament. So that's, uh, that's pretty nice. Yeah, since that win, obviously, you know, there was another couple of years really of, of struggles after immediately after winning there. But you had a really strong 2018 where you won twice on the Challenge Tour. Didn't quite get your card, which seemed really unfortunate at the time. Um, but then you had a good chance of winning in Dubai at the start of 2019 and, and had a really good season last year, really, when you look at your finishes. Yeah, it, it, you know, immediately after the Dunhill, you know, I knew that, I was well. I, I swung it so good that week. Um, I didn't even put well. I just hit it so good. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, it was it was so bad before that, and I, we pulled it back, and it hit a sweet spot for a short period of time, and then it kind of went the other way, and we were never able to dial it back. It was kind of awkward, you know, uh, trying to dial it back and compete, and that's why, like, now we've got time off to work on on your game. It's a bit easier because there's no outcome and no performance required right now. But back then I was trying to perform and build some momentum because even though I'd won and it took the pressure off, you know, I'd needed to build some middle of the pack finishes, just consistent four round tournaments where you're playing solid for, for four rounds and, and building momentum and confidence. And I was never able to get to that point And it just, I struggled and struggled and, Rocky was playing a lot as well, and I wasn't. I was ended up doing a lot of work on a Wednesday afternoon, and it wasn't ideal for me. So I ended up stopped working with him, not because of anything other than I just needed to do the work away from a Wednesday afternoon or a tournament. Yeah, um, and that didn't work, unfortunately. So I struggled, um, and then ended up being back on Challenge Tour, and again, sort of had a reset and and realised I needed to change my environment and set up a better team around me. Um, and a better workplace and, and prepare better. Um, and again, that was one of the best things I could have done. And so from then we sort of built a, a plan and a, a way of getting back and the Challenge Tour worked out quite nice. Obviously, no one wants to play on Challenge Tour, but um, it provided an opportunity for me to play with against, um, well, on easier golf courses, really. They're, they're still very competitive out there, but the courses are easier. So you're able to build confidence Um and produce scores and get used to getting into contention. And that's what happened. And then managed to win, which was a huge boost. And then once I won the first time, I went to Ireland shortly after and won again. And that was probably four of the best rounds of golf I'd played in a long, long time. And was just building momentum all the time and confidence. And it doesn't matter what tour you win on. Winning win is, is built confidence and you feel like you can win anywhere. So uh, it just carried on. And I was able to take that into South Africa at the beginning of the year on the main tour um and finish two top fives and and yeah just kept on cruising throughout the year which was was great yeah and i think just sort of going back to, to your early career now how difficult is it then to because when you look back through records although there was sort of like a lot of runner-up finishes that people knew about i don't think people really <laughs> contemplated how how high up in the game you got because you had, in 2009 you had three top uh, three top finishes in wgc you know, had a tied fifth at the cadillac tied length and the Bridgestone and you've had two back-to-back years of really good performances and match play as well so massive massive performances in really big fields and so how difficult is it to go from being a top performer in there to sort of humbling yourself I suppose to playing on a challenge tour yeah well golf will humble you really fast <laughs> um, 
yeah, it was tough. It was. I'd played well in the majors in '09 as well. I had three top sort of 24 fifth finishers. Um, yeah. Pretty solid. I was in contention at the U.S. Open, um, and then yeah, playing Challenge Tour, it was it was rough, and you soon realised like you know playing Challenge Tour, everyone's young, everyone's like 20, 22, 23. They don't really know anything about you, um, and everyone you know when you're young and coming up on that tour, you believe you're better than everyone anyway. So it's different and you got to, basically you better produce the results to earn respect out there. It doesn't matter what else you've done in the past. Um, and it, it, it was tough for sure. Um, but, you know, again, you just that's that's one of the beauty things, beautiful things about golf is no one can no one can stop you. No one can get in your way at golf um, other than yourself. Um, it's not political. You don't have to get picked for a team or selected. Just play well. All you got to do is play well, and you can re- become world number one. That, that's the simple. There's a route to the top, and I realise, okay, I'm on the challenge tour now. There's a, there's a there's a simple route back to where I want to get to, um, and it involves starting on the challenge tour. So I better start building some confidence and putting some results together um, to do that. And uh, I was f- fortunate enough to be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that you've been consistent about this chat is that, you know, you don't really focus on who else you're playing against and, and you're always sort of batting yourself. And, and when you look at the people that you beat in match play, I mean, you beat sort of KJ Cho and Anthony Kim in the first year of the match play. Uh, and then the second year, you beat Jimenez, McElroy and Donald as well. Uh, and both Donald and McElroy had to take 20 holes. So, it, you know, how how much, and especially as well, when you look at your Ryder Cup experience, how much do you actually put stock into your mentality going one-on-one in match play scenarios? Yeah, I would say it's a strength of mine. I think, like you say, uh, it's probably underrated. I don't think people realise. Um, I've, I've, I've had some good um, runs in some match play tournaments. Volvo World Match Play I did well in. had some big wins there. Um, yeah, but, you know, it, it, that's fine. It's I know, you know, nobody... Nobody really cares at the end of the day. So um, you've got to back yourself. And I know what I'm capable of. I know who I'm capable of beating. I know where I'm capable of getting to. Um, I just got to put the work in to get there. Um, and like we've sort of touched on, it's it's only ever been a technical thing that's held me back. I've never been the ball striker that I wanted to be. Um, but I continue to work on that. Um, and whilst trying to keep all the other parts of the game improving as well, um, and like I say, just keep yeah, keep working and improving, and and it'll come. So, um, I nobody knows better than me that what I'm capable of. And sometimes when you're struggling, people try to to give you a bit of a um, bit of a bump, I guess, and and you know, classes classes um, permanent. And it's you know, it's it's kind of patronising. Like I, I I always kind of go yeah 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 but my initial reaction is look mate i don't need I you to tell me how good yeah, i am i know yeah nobody knows it better than me um and i guess that's a bit my maybe my demeanor but um i know to back myself and i'll continue backing myself until i'm not really interested in doing it um but i, I know one thing for sure is where i am at the game right now is not where i want to be um things are going in the right direction for sure but um I want to give. I want to be much higher, and um, it's been an interesting career, you know, very up and down. But um, I want to 
I want to win more tournaments and get involved and um, do lots more. So I'll continue to do that. And uh, it'll be nice to be able to look back on and, and say that I was able to achieve it. Yeah. Do you think Do you think there is definitely a second half of your career coming up? Do you think you're actually entering a period now where, you know, there could be double your win tally very quickly um, and then maybe go back? Do you think you can go back into these Ryder Cup teams and, and, and WGCs and, and majors and contend? Do you think you're confident in doing that when the technical changes have been made? Um, I mean, look, I, I mean, I don't really set goals anymore. Um, I don't really believe in them. Okay. It's, it's more about the processes of, of getting there and just um, small increments improving each area of my game and the results will come. There's things I want to achieve. Um, I'd love to be able to play another Ryder Cup and be on a winning team. That's something that I would love to be able to do. Whether I'm capable of, I don't know. I didn't think I was capable of making the first Ryder Cup team and I, and I made it um, without needing a pick. So, um it's golf is just weird you know you you never know like you can go from nowhere to top of the tree pretty quickly um, and generally it's nothing magical it's just good hard work and getting good information and just keep doing it and be relentless in that pursuit of trying to become the best player you can be um, and that's what I do um, and I have a lot of good people around me um, and I'm get, I feel like I'm getting really good information um, so all I've got to do is stick to t- stick to the task, keep my mind focused on on what we are trying to do um, and see what happens, really. Um, and that for me is all I can do. And I think if I do that, then there's definitely some more wins around the corner. Absolutely. Just to go back, I'm just going right back now again to the Ryder Cup in 20, uh, 2008. Do you do you think that you were misused in that that week? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Never heard it termed like that. Um, I um, look. It was a. It's a tough thing to do. I mean, being honest, I wasn't playing great that week in practice, Monday, Tuesday. Okay. Um, but what I did do, I practiced. That's that was the downside. Nick didn't know me at all. No. Um, and I hadn't won, so you know, somebody of his stature and career. Um, you know, I, I hadn't I don't think I'd earned his respect fully and it didn't look like I was gonna play. I didn't when I got there I didn't play great. So from his I can understand from his point of view he'd be like, Look, he's not gonna play, just play him in the singles. Um but if he'd have known me and spoke to my coach and my caddy and my team, I think he'd have learned that that's not quite black and white like that. I never practiced well, never prepared well. Um, that was my strength of turning it on when it mattered. Um, and I practiced really well on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, but I think my, the decision had been made. So I was fortunate that Henrik jumped in and said, look, after the first day, I want to play with Ollie on the foursomes. And we played great. Um, I played really well. Um, couldn't have played much better. And we managed to beat Anthony Kim and Mickelson at the time, which is a very special time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was... I, I just assumed I'd play in the afternoon because we played so well in the morning and uh, I got dropped um, and then only played the singles, which was a shame because I played great in the singles as well. But unfortunately, I played against Boo Weekly, who was <laughs> it's still one of the best rounds of golf I've ever witnessed. So um, it was a shame and I was disappointed. And I think I think if I'd have played in the afternoon, it might have helped. Um, who knows? But I was playing well, full of confidence and loved it. Um, so whether I was misused, I don't know, but I feel like I should have played in the afternoon, um, and 
you know, if I'd have then I've only played three games, then I couldn't have had any arguments as a rookie. But I think I was playing well enough to earn another round. Well, this and this is as well as it because when you look back at it now from the outside looking in, so you come back from four down with Henrik, and and I'm really like, pleased that you said that Henrik sort of lobbied for you to be your partner because I was sort of trying to figure out how that pairing came about. Uh, but you come back from four down to win that, which just talks of your resolve, and then. You say that you that Bowie Weekly had to play the round of his life, and that's no joke, really, is it? I mean, I think were you four under par on that day, and you'd have beaten everyone else on the was, team. Yeah, I think it was seven. Yeah. Seven, and I think I'd have beat everyone other than one other person in the whole tournament so, and the whole both teams. So, uh, something like that, anyway. But it was, yeah, it was, it was a shame. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting week. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know, I just wanted to get your sort of view on that because I think that. So for for others, maybe they could say, well, you know, he wasn't playing well going in. He was a rookie. He hadn't won. Very easy to only play him in two matches or one match even. Um, but you, you come and put a really good performance in and you felt like you earned a spot in the afternoon and didn't get it. I suppose that must be really quite frustrating and annoying. And it was and frust- you explain there. It was frustrating because I found out, well, it was frustrating because on the 16th tee, oh, sorry, 16th green, um, Fanny found out that Henrik was going back out in the afternoon and I just assumed we were going back out we both did, we both thought we were both going back out so we were one one up with two to play a great turnaround, we played awesome in foursomes to get it back round we didn't do anything wrong in the first six holes they just played really well um, and that, so we were still trying to finish this match off and we find that out and then we go on, we win. I hold a put on 17. Sorry, it's 15th green that we found out. I hold a put on 17 um, to win. Um, everything's fantastic. You know, big celebrations, heading on in, thinking I'm going to be playing. Um, and then was t- found out I wasn't going to play when I got back in. So it was a bit of a kick in the teeth. But um, I think really, that's. I don't think something like that would happen nowadays because they've got more vice captains you know nick only had two vice captains um now there's a vice captain with every game they get true feedback on the players and how they're playing and how they've performed um and i i I honestly think i would have played if if there was a vice captain walking around seeing our game and seeing how we played so it's just one of those things i think um as a as the team for europe they've learned from that mistake um and yeah you just get better feedback and knowing what all the players are doing and how they're performing and whether they should go out again or or they're struggling and need an afternoon off so it's uh, one of the casualties of the setup i think from that year yeah i think we you know you look at the recent years now and you've had players like jamie donaldson and and victor de brisson and and nicholas colsart's people that have really played really well as a rookie um and and been allowed to do that and facilitated to that and and like you say there, maybe that is because of the changing system. So for me, it was kind of one of those things, well, you know, no, you hadn't won, but you'd been one of the more consistent players in in world golf for, you know, that year and, and again the year after. So really the, the, your ability was right out of everybody else. And, and like you say there, maybe Nick didn't know you went enough to, to really put that relationship together. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and really see how you felt going into the weekend coming out as well. Yeah, it was just, yeah, I mean, it was an incredible week, obviously, gutter to not have won. Um, it's something I still look back on as still very special to spend, uh, to be part of that team with players that I'd grown up watching, hugely respected, 
Um, but it was a it was a tough week because I didn't really get a whole lot from from Nick as a captain, um, and you know, I, I kind of I kind of felt like he I didn't he didn't want me on the team. Not that he didn't want me on the team, but I, I hadn't certainly I hadn't earned his respect. But again, that just you know I knew I'd earned my place and I was capable of playing against those players. Um, so it was a it was just a shame, you know. It, it could have been um, it could have been a whole lot better. We we had a good team. We certainly could have won, um, but I don't think the the environment wasn't created um, in the best interest of the, the the European team. I think. Absolutely, I understand that. Um, just a few quick fire questions, really, before I let you go. Um, sort of people that have sent in. Um, one person I'm, I'm assuming that you know from your younger days is David Brooks, and he asked yeah. you who is the best team that you've been a part of. <laughs> I'm sure you know the answer when I mention his name. <laughs> well, I think he's fishing for a, for an answer. Um, <laughs> I would have to say the team that we were on going to Scotland was, was <laughs> representing Coxmoor was one of the most fun <laughs> weeks I'd had. It's certainly one that sticks in my memory. Um, that was a, that was a fun time getting uh, <laughs> getting up there. Um, but yeah, I've been fortunate. My my team in college was fantastic as well. That was uh, some of my best memories and my best friends still. So. Um, it would be nice to see all the guys that I've been on the teams with over the years more, but unfortunately, yeah, we travel a lot, so it doesn't happen. Yeah, I think you know when you a lot of people go back to the team events being the more exciting parts of their career and and the really enjoyable parts, and a lot of people go back to college and their amateur days and talk about that. And I think it's amazing that you know, as you said at the start of the podcast, you know, sixteen years on tour all these big memories and big stages you've been a part of, but it's always in the back of your mind as those days that you spent on those teams and, and how you sort of look at those fondly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's golf's an individual sport, so it's fantastic to win. Um, but there's nothing like winning um, and celebrating and sharing that camaraderie with your teammates and your best mates and uh, developing and exploring and learning stuff. It's just, yeah, it's a it's so much better to be able to spend it with people um with, with with your friends but at the same time winning as an individual is is extra special because it's all you so um there's there's both sides of it but winning with a team is still still fun yeah and another question here someone said that you know this you've been well known for never refusing an interview on tour um even when <laughs> really? the times were, apparently <laughs> um do, do you is, is there ever been a time where you really, because obviously you've had some really difficult times and, and medias have really got onto your case at times. Has there ever been a point where you just don't want to talk to anyone, shut down and you've had to sort of had a frosty relationship with any media publications or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, not too much. I mean, I understand where they're coming from and um, I, I'm always still pleased that they want to talk to me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like you want, oh, you want to talk to me? Okay, yeah, fine, great. Um I, I, there was a guy that I had a bad relationship with in Hong Kong that I had to get thrown out of the media tent once. Um, he was a, well, yeah, a, he, he <laughs> we didn't see it. We didn't see eye to eye, should we say. He was quite disrespectful. Um, but that's the only real um, bad time I've had. The media have always been generally pretty good with me. I try to be as open and honest as I can. Um, and, you know, it's just, yeah, it's part part of the game and they help help with the game and and sell us as as uh as golfers so um as long as they're not stupid questions i don't mind (laughs) 
And and the last one of those quickfire ones is the uh, you, sort of the most memorable pairing that you've had. So obviously, you know, winning the, the Daniel Links maybe be a most memorable moment, but maybe a playing partner that you sort of like really looked up to at the time or were excited to play with? Well, I mean, I'd have to say Henrik at the Ryder Cup was one that was very special. Um, it, it's, I think, one of the aspects of the Ryder Cup, the, why, the way it's, or the reason why the quality of golf is so good is because you partnered with players that are some of the best in the world. And for me, I was, I don't know, like 35th in the world playing with Henrik. I don't know where he was ranked at that time, but obviously pretty high up, um, incredible player. To have him as my wingman, to go out in the foursomes and ride a cup, I mean, there's not many players that you'd rather have. So it made me feel 10 foot tall, and I had such confidence in him that it allows me to, you know, it allowed me to play better golf because I kind of, I just know my partner's so good that he'll he'll look after me and he had the confidence to play with me that or the confidence in me to play well um and it just makes you stronger so um that's one that always stands out and i guess in to- regular tournaments i've always, I played with phil mickelson quite a lot so i look back on what goes about putting a round together and the stuff he comes out with is quite interesting yeah absolutely i think you know just to look back at you know to summarize all this you know to get to where you've sort of been at the start of your career where you sort of the struggling years and then to come out the other side and win again is is a true sort of testament to your uh, resolve and I know you sort of spoke about times where it sort of came across as a bit patronizing when people sort of trying to tell you how good you were and the class was permanent things like that but how much did you appreciate the outpouring of of respect and admiration when you did get over the line and Dunhill links because there was, you were a very popular winner that week and you know all across social media a lot of players came out and spoke of of how happy they were for you to win yeah, it was. Um, that was one thing that came out of that entire week that I'll look, always look back on fondly. It was. Um, it was really nice. It was incredible, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was. It, it the the messages I was getting on social media and emails were just lasted for so long. I couldn't get back to everybody. It was. It was immense. It was so nice to feel that amount of support. Um, so it was very special, and again, something I'm hugely grateful for. Um, you don't, you know, you you kind of expect messages of congratulations, but it was way more than that. It was, it was the amount of people that told me they cried, um, <laughs> people that were driving on the road and pulled over to listen to it on the radio. It was, um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was, it was a very special thing, and feel like you, I feel like I shared it with a lot of people, which was nice. Um, any any time like that, I was fortunate that my wife had flown up on the Sunday without me knowing. So she actually walked around 18 holes, her and her mum. And I only saw her after I walked off the 18th and she just appeared. So it was, it was very special in that respect as well that I got to share it with them. Um, But then, yeah, like I said, I feel like I shared it with a lot of people that week. So it was uh, really cool. Another reason why it was just an amazing week. Yeah, absolutely. Ollie, I think we've taken enough of your time. I know you've obviously got your, your little boy and, you know, you've got plenty of things to do and practice and things like that. So I just wanted to thank you for the time you've given me today. Um, really enjoyed sort of going through the career, um, sort of looking at not just the highs and, and the lows, but also the, the intricacies of, of what caused those. And especially it was really fascinating to hear your take on the Ryder Cup as well. Um, but we all just wish you the very best. Obviously, you know, you're a very popular person on tour and, and we all just hope you get back to the level that, that you know you're capable of. And, and hopefully once we've uh, come out the other side of this pandemic, we can uh, see some more wins and, and top finishes on tour.
Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I hope so. Um, but I appreciate you having me on. It's it's always nice to go back and relive some of the high points. So, like I say, hopefully um, get things back on track or keep keep them going the right direction. And when we get out of this, it'd be nice to add a few victories to it. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. No, sounds good to me, Ollie. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.